morning. Really glad to see everyone here. I love mornings, early riser. And uh, if you don't love mornings, I'm, I'm glad you're here. So we're going to get right into it. Psalm 113. I also love that song. That was a really good song that really pertains to this message as well this morning. Psalm 113 is where we begin. That's on page 603 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. 603. And as you turn over there, I want us to think for a second. What was that deciding factor for you when deciding to follow Jesus? All right, maybe it wasn't just one thing. Maybe it was a bunch of things, a combination of things. Maybe it was more like dominoes falling and toppling over each other. But what was that last domino, if you will, if we think back for a second? Because there's a good chance that decision in following Jesus was the overcoming of, of some sort of fear. And if not a fear, then certainly maybe an impulse. An impulse to want to have your cake and eat it too, to you know, follow Jesus, but at the same time to kind of want to keep living the way you were living. And it reminds me of the, the rich young ruler who really wanted to love Jesus and follow Jesus, but also love his wealth at the same time. It's this tricky balance where we can't love two masters at the same time. But if our heart is genuine, there comes a point where we have to give up our fear of, of letting go, and we have to decide. We have to decide to follow Jesus. And usually when we think of fears, we usually think of whatever is going to damage us physically or harm us. Usually things like skydiving or scuba diving or whatever has to do with diving apparently, whatever that is. Those things are going to harm us. But there's different levels, different degrees of fear, right? There's a fear of losing someone, the fear of confining in someone, the fear of, you know, what others may think, or am I adequate enough? And those are everyday fears, everyday deep fears, which we probably have to tackle if we're going to accept Christ. If we're going to wake up every day and choose to follow Jesus, we're going to have to tackle some of those fears, because those fears have the ability to affect our everyday lives. So let's begin by reading Psalm 113. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Psalm 113, this is such a positive message here, starting with the idea of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our The Lord, our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, far down, on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. If we are ever to overcome our fears, we have to acknowledge first our condition, our situation, What are those fears that are standing in our way? You might be reading that and wondering, how does this have to pertain to fears? What does that have to do with being scared? And yet the psalm is split in half. The first half of the psalm, you'll notice verses 1 through 4, it's all talking about praise. Praising who God is. The second half of this psalm, verses 5 through 9, talk about the type of God that he is. What he does, the actions that he takes. He's the type of God that cares about those that no one else cares about. 
He's the type of God that cares about you. He's the type of God that cares about you when you don't care about yourself. And that makes him all the greater, all deserving of our praise and our attention and our affection in our lives. The thing is, if we're ever to overcome fear, praise is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. Look at verse 7. Pay attention because that's the peak of our lesson this morning where it talks about God raising. It says God raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Look at that idea of poor and needy. Poor and needy, that's, that's us without God. We are spiritually poor and we are deeply in need of something more without God. You think of all the inventions that man has created. right? Not all of them, but many of them are there to help assist us as humans where we are weakest or we need assistance, where we as humans are, have a disadvantage. We're literally born helpless. And then what happens is we grow up and we realize we're still helpless and we still need help. We don't always know what we're doing. And then we get to the end of our life and again we find that we are helpless. And yet maybe we are fortunate enough to have a family, a support system, a, a church family to help us through that helplessness of life. But the thing is, No one takes care of us the way that God takes care of us. Before we understand what this verse in verse 7 means to us, we have to look at its context, its historical context. In verse 7, what this is alluding to is in ancient times, the cities and the communities, they would have these ash heaps where the outcasts would be. And the outcasts were the the mentally ill, the extremely contagious, the deaf, the lame, the, the poor, the beggars, all of these people, even the blind, these were the outcasts. And they would hang out outside of the city, away from everyone else, away from the community, around these ash heaps where people would take their trash and the rubble of the city and burn them, and they would create these ashes. And over time, the, the sun would beat down on these ashes and make them nice and warm for the outcasts there. And the, as a consequence, that's where the outcasts would be. They would be around this ash heap, around the trash. Many of you might remember the book of Job. I want our thoughts to go to the book of Job in your Bibles. When Job has lost everything, if you remember that story, I mean, he lost his family, his wealth, his health. And what happens to Job, if you remember? In Job chapter 2, verse 8, we're told that Job took a shard of broken pottery, right? That's probably from the trash, to scrape himself with while he was sitting among the ashes. It's most likely referring to that ash heap where the outcasts and the rubble and the other people were there from the community. The outcasts were. And for those who know the story, we go even further in that story. What happens to Job? Right? His friends come to visit him, try to talk him through his situation, why he lost everything, to try to figure it out, to get him out of this, this ash heap. And yet what happens is they make judgments and assumptions that are way, way too big for them, and they end up lying to Job. They end up lying about who God is. And yet, throughout that entire dialogue, what do we find Job doing? In his situation of, of misery and sorrow, we find Job giving praises, saying God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. That reminds me of what we just read in Psalm 113, verse 3. That from the rising of the sun to its setting all day long, the name of the Lord is to be what? The name of the Lord is to be praised. That's the type of attitude that Job has. 
That's the type of attitude that we should strive to have. And yet when we read the book, we know why Job is suffering. But Job doesn't. And the frustrating part is as we're reading the dialogue between Job and his friends, we're waiting for God to come in and explain everything that's happening. And so God does come in in verses 38 through 42, and he expresses that God is in control of everything, that God is all-powerful, that I, God, I made the beasts of the field, the creatures of the sea, not you, not humans, and yet God doesn't explain to Job why he's suffering. He doesn't explain to us exactly why they're suffering in life. You know what God does give us? God gives us hope. God tells us through his power, explaining and showing us his power, that there's a God bigger than our suffering, that there's a God bigger than our fears. And what we realize when we read Job, when we even go through scary times in our own life, is that life is not always meant to be understood. It's meant to teach, to help us learn, to show us who God is. When God speaks to Job, when he speaks to his friends, that's exactly what he does. He shows them, this is me, I am God, and this is where you place your hope, in God. I love positive verses, like Romans 15, verse 13, that tell us who God is. That may the God of of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is a God worth overcoming our fears for. And Jesus tells us that. He tells us in Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31, that we should overcome our fears for God and with the power of God. In verse 29, why? Well, because are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That's how much sparrows are. Two sparrows are worth a penny, and not one of them, it says, will fall to the ground apart from the Father, and yet God takes care of his creation, takes care of those sparrows, and he goes on to say, this is how much I know you as a human, how intimately I know you, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered, he says, and what, what do we do? Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So yes, even though God may keep some wisdom from us, some knowledge from us, some understanding what God is telling us through his power, that he is the only one powerful enough to raise us out of the ash heap. And when we rise out of the ash heap, we, as we read in Psalm 113, verse 8, we are made to sit with princes, With the princes of who? Of his people. As Job's friends are trying to save him from the ashes, God says, no, no, you're not powerful enough to do that. Only I am. And God does that. Only God can truly deliver us. Only God has the power to save us from the ashes, from being an outcast, from our fears that are holding us back. He has the power to do that. And he expresses that power to Job, in fact. I love the verses like Job 38, verse 4, when he talks to Job and he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess understanding. It goes on in chapter 40, verses 8 through 10. Would you indeed annul my justice? Would you declare me guilty so that you may be right? See, God's not into that type of selfishness there. Verse 9. 
Do you have an arm as powerful as God's and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself then with majesty and excellency and clothe yourself with glory and honor. The thing is, Job can't do that. He can't raise himself from the ashes. He can't heal himself from his illness. He needs God. He doesn't have the power and the ability that God has to clothe himself with glory and honor. And yet in the end of the story, what do we know? God does clothe him. God does redeem him. God does bless him in the second half of his life. He is restored because God, through his power, delivers Job from those ashes. You see, our faith does not determine our situation. It determines how we act in our situation. We can either choose to fear God or we can fear the things of this earth. And if we are in Job's situation, we lose everything we have. I mean, that would bring fear into our life. Fear would probably play a major role in our life. In fact, we would probably want to give up on the game of life because as Job, he loses everything that many of us today live for. And that's the point of Job is to ask at the end of the book when we read it, what do you live for? What are we living for? It's so easy to be scared you know, from the world that's around us, to feel like an outcast, to feel like we're stuck in these ashes and there's no way out. I don't know how to get out, and so I'm scared that I am stuck. I don't want to try because I'm scared I might fail. I'm scared of what others might think. I'm scared of losing someone. And all of these fears we've dealt with. But at the same time, they're the very thing that's keeping us stuck in these ashes. You know, Job feared God. And it was clear in the way that he responded to God. Right? When God asked him and told him, are you as powerful as me? Do you have a voice like thunder, like, like mine in Job 40, verse 9, and so on? Look at how Job responds to God with fear and trembling in Job 40, verses 4 through 5. And says, indeed, I am completely unworthy. How could I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth to silence myself. I've spoken once. But I cannot answer twice, but I will say no more. Silence, awe, praise, that is Job's response. And God blesses him, redeems him, and that, you know what? What God does for Job, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. So we understand what keeps us in the ashes, what our fears can do if we allow them to control our life. Let's shift directions here and look at Jesus. Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. Look at Mark chapter 10 and notice how Jesus interacts to the outcast, to those hanging around the ash heap. In Mark chapter 10, that's page 1007, 1007 in the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho, his disciples and a great crowd, sorry, as, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, Jesus is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Did he go his own way? And immediately he recovered his sight and went his own way. And he followed Jesus on the way. If we are, if we look at our life and we compare it to this situation, are we like this blind beggar? Do we have the courage that this man does to act that way? And I was listening to an interview of a blind man living in the modern world as we do with the luxuries that we have and yet still with that handicap and how, how hard and difficult it is to live life. And it is. It helped me have empathy for him. And one of the people that were talking to him asked, you know, what are some of the things that you fear in this life? And they were so different than what I assumed a blind man would be scared of, like, like, like falling down the stairs or something. That's, that's not it at all. They were real fears that we resonate with. He said he was scared that he might be too much of a burden on his family, his friends, or even society. He was scared that he might not be an adequate husband. He was scared that if he has children, he might not be an adequate father. He might be a distant father because he can't interact and play with his kids that other dads who can see their kids play and interact with them. He's scared of that. And those are legitimate fears. Those are fears that we can all relate to. And what happens if we believe them? What happens if he believes those fears? We don't go anywhere. He doesn't go anywhere. You see, Fear gives us the choice to believe in either God or man, to choose. Imagine for a second in Mark chapter 10 how easy it would be for this man, this blind man, to just sit, to be silent, to not do anything. Remember, put yourself in his position. You can't see anything. You just hear this Jesus of Nazareth healing people. All evidence is circumstantial. It's all by ear. He doesn't know if that's actually the truth, and yet he has the courage to shout out among the crowd, have mercy on me, Jesus. And what does the crowd do in verse 48? The many do exactly what all of us are sometimes scared of. They tell them, well, rebuke him, and then tell him to be silent. Fear can do that. You know, fear can silence us, and yet many in the crowd, they're, they're fear-mongering, which is ironic when you think about it, because this crowd is literally following the Savior of the world. They've seen him do amazing things and other miracles, perhaps even healing other blind people, maybe raising others from the dead. That's why they're following him to begin with. They've seen that with their eyes that actually work, and you would think that they would want everyone to be influenced by Jesus, and yet they act the opposite of what Jesus would do. You see, from the blind man's perspective, desperation is always in competition with fear. How desperate are we to overcome our fear? How scared are we to to stay where we're at in that idea of comfort? Fear is simply just holding us back from who we are, holding us back from our true potential, our full potential. Why? Because we choose to believe those fears. And so our desperation has the ability, actually, like this blind man, to draw us and bring us closer to God. And yet he has every right to be scared. He has every right to be scared of this crowd telling him basically to sit down, to be quiet, He has every right to be scared of what they might think, 
of the negative comments they have, the rebukes that they have, and yet what does he do in verse 88? He calls out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. All the more. As followers of Jesus, you look at your own life and you look at this situation here and we have to ask ourselves, are we the beggar or are we the crowd, the many in the crowd? What is our temperament in life? Do we tell people to sit down, be quiet? You don't know what you're talking about. God has no time for you. And you know what? You just don't fit in this crowd. You just don't fit in this circle. You don't fit in this clique. Or do we tell God, have mercy on me. Help me get through my fears, my desperation. Is Jesus a spectacle to be admired? Or is he a God to be praised? Those are two different things. Because a spectacle does nothing but entertain us. It's for our entertainment purposes only. And God is not there to entertain us. Jesus is not some circus show surrounding himself with the outcasts. Jesus is a God who created and cares and interacts with his creation. Sometimes in ways we can't comprehend. But always in ways that we need. He tells us who we should believe in. He gives us reasons to believe. He gives us something to believe in, and it's not our fears, it's God. And that means we have to be willing to cry out all the more. The fears that we have in this life, they run deep. They can run deep, because it's more than just surface level. We as humans are very complex There's a lot of layers to us, like an onion. We got to peel back in order to get to the core of that fear. Our fears, the reason why we might feel like an outcast, or even look at legitimate outcasts of our society today, the way that they are, their situation, cannot be fixed by science and money alone. It certainly can't be fixed with self-centered love. You have to peel back the layers that they can't do. People fear because of, well, maybe addiction and distractions and comfort, but that's just the top layer. You peel back even further, you got mental illness and abuse. You peel back even further, you got, you know, trauma and family issues and so on and so on. The human condition cannot be easily fixed with systems and governments and communities alone. It can't. You have to be addressed with faith. It has to be addressed with faith because faith strikes at the core of our fears of who we are, because it forces us to choose who to believe in. We have to believe that we can change. We have to believe that God can change us. And only then can we then start to rise up out of the ashes. That means we have to have the courage to do that. The courage, just as this blind beggar did, despite what the crowd thought, despite what they were saying, And to listen to the encouragement of the few in the crowd. To listen to Jesus who told them to to take heart. Verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him what? Saying, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. To us here, all of us today sitting in the pew. Jesus, God is calling you. Take heart. I know when we usually think of fear and we go to certain passages in the Bible, we usually think of, you know, Peter walking on water, which is a really good passage, one I thought of. But it's too easy, if you know me, we're comfortable with that. But the message and the principle of the blind man and Peter walking on the water when it comes to fear is the same. 
Peter needed that courage to walk on water, to walk toward Jesus. And when he looked the other way, Jesus helped him when he was drowning. And so the blind man in the same way needs courage to answer Jesus' call so that Jesus can save him, rise him, raise him, I should say, from the ash heap. Sometimes our courage, the fears that we need to overcome aren't as big as walking on water. Sometimes they are small and they've been nagging at us most our life like that blind man or maybe all of our life and we have to overcome it because it is blinding us from reality. It is most likely the few in the crowd after Jesus corrected that crowd that we have to listen to, that, that the blind man was listening to, that tell him, take Heart. I love how modern versions tell us, you know, take courage. Take courage because Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling us out of the ashes. In fact, he's stepping into the place of the outcast where we are. He's stepping into our lives where we are to enter into his warm embrace. And that warmth is much better than the warmth that the outcasts are getting from the ashes the light that the outcasts are getting from the ashes. You see, the light that comes from Christ illuminates our whole life. And then we can see that we need salvation. We find salvation in Jesus. It takes courage. And yet our faith, our faith is directly linked to our courage. One could even argue that we have no faith if we have no courage. Because to have no courage is not fearing God, it is fearing man. Our faith is a journey, a journey of overcoming fears, and then we come out the other side a different person, a better, more faithful man or woman for God. You just look at the examples of Jesus healing and helping people that are in need. In the book of Mark alone, right? And he's telling people most often to comforting them, saying, look, be brave. Overcome those fears. For example, the woman with a blood disorder in Mark chapter 5, who touches just the hem of Jesus' cloak and is healed, then the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Mark 5, 33 through 34. The synagogue leader whose daughter died, and Jesus said, no, she's just asleep. And Jesus told the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, just believe. And Jesus raises her from the dead, Mark 5, 36. The disciples caught in a storm in the, midst of a, in the middle of a boat. They cried out, for they had saw Jesus and were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I do not be afraid, Mark six forty nine through 50. And again, the father with the demon-possessed man who would have seizures in Mark chapter 9, the father tells Jesus, if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you are able, if I am able, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Mark 9, 22 through 24. And that's just the book of Mark alone. Right, there's plenty of other examples of God calling us to change, knowing that we have to overcome our fears with courage, believing in God's power. 
if we are going to be any different than who we are today. You look at a couple slides of the things that we've talked about this morning when it comes to fear, how fear keeps you where you are and you're stuck, that it's a choice to fear man and you're not going to grow if we fear man. It's actually going to make you ill, not well, like we saw Jesus heal the blind man who had courage. So we have to ask ourselves, will, will we fear man or God? And then we look at faith. Faith gives us courage. It sets us apart. It requires praise. It is a journey. Right? Do we face our fears with faith? We need to. I know people this you're going to the new year and this morning make goals, try to you know, accomplish their goals, and that's good. We should make goals. But along with you know, making a list of goals, how about we make a list of fears that we need to overcome this year? And we start off 2023 you know, making a list of fears that we want to overcome, and we work every day to try to overcome those fears. That's something that we should be trying to do, not to be afraid, but to choose to believe in the power of Jesus and overcome our fears and cry out all the more. As Jesus said in Mark 10, 51, your faith made you well. If your faith makes you well, the opposite is true. Fear makes us ill. The whole time, we have to be praising God. We have to be following him just like the blind man was following Jesus. We have to be willing to overcome our fears. And when we do, we're given so much more blessings. We are, we rise up from the ashes, we sit amongst the princes, as we read in Psalm 113, and as it ended in verse 9, God gives the barren woman a home. He makes her the joyous mother of children. We are given so much joy. What do we do with that joy, with those blessings? As a changed person, we praise the Lord. Who are we going to choose to believe in this morning? God or our fears? Don't let your fears hold you back from following Jesus, going into that joy of being with Jesus. Christian or non-Christian, the call is, we all have a call, just like the blind man, and we should react just like the blind man. Take off our coat, run to Jesus. Jesus is calling you today, and if you're not a Christian, he's calling you to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If that is a call that you want to respond to this morning, then come forward now while we stand and we sing.